OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Well, Jade, just like we do in this fashion, we just like to jump right in and, uh, and just kind of keep going, right? So yep. I want to thank you for joining us. Pretty excited to chat with you today because so much of what you guys are doing in, in the Alberta space is really kind of how the rest of the world really needs to look at how to work with and engage with startups in that early community. And it really uh, sits home with us well because these are the types of things that we're working on. So maybe to start off, we can get you to give us a little bit more of a background from your uh, beginnings, where you came from, what you've been up to, what you're doing today, and then kind of looking at where you're going. And then if you can share one thing about you that nobody would know. Oh, a good question. And, uh, and I really excited to be here, Jeffrey. Thanks for having me. And um, I mean, you know, we connected via LinkedIn and I think you and I are both kind of uh, social media networking typhoons. So uh, I'm glad we were able to connect and, and, and I agree with you. And I guess uh, I, I always tell people I'm just a small town, cool guy that kind of, uh, I don't even know how I got here and my journey's all over the map, but um, I was always in sales and I was always a really good sales rep. And I had a chance to become an entrepreneur 15 or so years ago with my partners. Um, we purchased the rights to Nathan's famous hot dogs in Canada, grew it to a brand, um, exited it. And since then I've been helping small businesses grow scale and exit through a purpose before profit mode that really focuses on companies scaling, growing, exiting, but not focusing on how much they have to pay you. So we really believe in that purpose before profit. And, um, and, and again, it, 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 it's, it really hits close to home and, and I've seen too many people getting taken advantage of. So that, that is something that we're really passionate about. And, and, uh, and, and it is working here in the Alberta ecosystem. And I guess the one thing, hmm, uh, that people really don't know about me is I've swam escape from Alcatraz. Say that again. I swam escape from Alcatraz. Yeah. I jump in, jump in, swim around the Island, come on back. Didn't get eaten by a great white. So I'm here to tell the story still. So you swam around the Island. You didn't actually swim to the mainland from there. Did you? You there's two way two. uh, you had one, you jump off at the Island and then you swim back. And the other one is where you go start and go around and then finish back on land. So, <laughs> oh, okay. So how did it, that sounds pretty exciting. I need to explore this. I haven't been to the Alcatraz, but my brother did go and found it pretty fascinating. I had no idea you could swim from Alcatraz, I guess, back to mainland. Is that the idea? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was... uh... Actually, it was like all good ideas. It started with a few uh, few whiskeys, and uh, we ended up having to lie through our teeth. I don't condone about lying, but um, we couldn't find anybody. We needed a U.S. Open Water Swimming Association number and couldn't find it, and then found a private club in San Fran. And they said, yeah, oh, yeah, well, as long as you pay your 150 bucks and just send me the last uh, five races you swam in. And I don't know, we, you know, I'm at the lake. I swim in our lake, and... And I just picked five lakes in Saskatchewan and wrote, wrote open behind them. And he accepted our application and away we went. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. How long did it take? Well, yeah, you thought it would take long, but literally it was uh, like from the island to the, that, that time was um, 33 minutes. Like I just sat there and floated and took my time and relaxed and backstroked. And it was a pretty easy swim. 
they got away. All of the documentaries, they always made it out like this was the most worst swim in the world. The waves were huge. The sharks would get you. There's no way anybody would ever try to escape. And you're like floating down lazy river with a beer on your stomach, getting to the other end. And you're like, I don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, they got away. There's no doubt in my mind after watching that. I wasn't swimming for my life either. <laughs> or freedom. Oh, man, I feel like I've been totally taken on this whole thing. I'm like, I can't believe they made it. These guys are amazing. Meanwhile, yeah. it was a 10-minute swim, and it was only uh, knee-deep water. Yeah, we were, yeah, we uh, jumped off. You know, we were, we were done by breakfast time and sitting there and having breakfast in the bay and by 8, 8 a.m. That's amazing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> now I've got a good story to tell everybody that this is, uh, they were all making it up. In, uh, Absolutely. It was all the movies. They just made you feel like it was crazy. Absolutely. <laughs> Unbelievable. I feel like, I, honestly, I feel like I've been lied to my whole life. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> all good. Um, so I wanted to touch base a little bit, I guess, on when you were, when you bought the hot dogs and you really built this brand up. I really find that a lot of the things that we do in our past really define what we do in our future. And I'd love to learn a bit more about how Nathan's, uh, one, when you started this, what got you involved? How did you find out about Nathan's and what got you in behind the brand? And then when you guys started to build this up, was there a few things that you guys had, the hurdles that you had to get through in order to really make this brand stand out? And then what were those learnings that you were able to take that and say, you know what? We did such a good job here, and I love this inter, uh, interacting with early stage in this whole space, and it kind of just helped perpetuate you into the rest of this uh, networking and, and being part of this whole ecosystem. Yeah, um, I was always a, a great networker, and and uh, you know, obviously being in sales, I could I, I could talk, and you know, playing hockey and coaching at a high level and scouting, and it was it was something that it was easy for me. Um, my, my, the Christiansons, my partners there, they, they had the idea and they're like, yeah, you know, we, we want you to come on and be part of this and we think you're the perfect fit for it. So it was a really good opportunity for me at the time. Um, you know, when I watch how startups grow now, uh, it, we were, we were totally, you know, well, let's go. We put, we put, we thought we put together a really good business plan and away we went and, and we found out 38 days later, it wasn't that good. And we pivoted it and redid it and, and hired brokers and started growing it that way. And, you know, before, if we didn't do that, who knows what would have happened, but it was really, let's go figure this out. Let's figure out the brand. Let's figure out the sales. Let's figure out the marketing, you know, Facebook and Twitter were still there. So it was hands-on um, and, you know, trial by error in a lot of times, especially dealing with CFIA and the USDA, because we were an importer at that time. And it, it, it was a lot of, uh, a lot of lumps, a lot of, uh, the, you know, people always say, oh, you don't learn from the school of hard knocks, but man, there's no other way, you know, she's the best teacher around there. And, and, and it's really, you know, to kind of come full with, you know, we had the franchise of food service and the retail, right? So you really learned how to, you know, play a lot of those games and, and how it works and the Cisco's and the GFS's and the Safeway, Sobeys, Loblaws. So now when you're playing in these ecosystems and you become an investor and you become a, a person that's helping fellow entrepreneurs, you know, it's, it's a really good focus on scale and growth where someone's like, well, I should go into this accelerator and learn a bit more. I should go into this. I'm like, oh, get the hell out of here. Like get out there, start selling, start learning, start figuring out what people want, what they don't want. You can't learn that by sitting in a classroom and, and listening to someone to tell you what their experiences was because their experience could be absolutely 
irrelevant to what you're going to learn over the next year in your startup. So that's probably what taught me the most. And the, the knowledge I share the most is, is get out there, figure it out and, uh, and learn from what, what you're figuring out and what you're seeing in the market. And do you think uh, like there's a lot of risk obviously associated with you guys jumping into this? So you obviously were in a position where you guys could dive right in. What got you into not building your own brand, but diving into a license model? Did it seem more appealing to you? Did you find that, hey, you know what, we could really work this and grow this significantly? Did you do your market research? Like all the normal startup things that you would go through, or you guys were just like, you know what, I've eaten hot dogs. These are the best. We're going to take this to market. I don't care what's in front of us. We're going to bulldoze our way through. That was a part of it. Um, the other part is uh, uh, the Christensen's were very, our serial entrepreneurs themselves in, in the food industry and hospitality industry. So they had a really good knowledge and background of what to do and, a, and basically an infrastructure set there where a lot of people didn't have um, when it comes to not only financing, but, you know, the back end, you know, the back of the people house, they could say, oh yeah, you're working on this. Well, we're going to slide this on your desk for a little bit or whatever it may be. But yeah, it was, uh, we, we felt that there was room for a premium hot dog in Canada. There really wasn't one there. You know, you might've, you know, in the TO area there, you have the shopsies that were there that people always talked about and, and, you know, a hot dog here or there, but we figured we could really make a brand. And obviously Nathan's was a huge brand. We had to do more explaining out in the West than we did in the East because, you know, relative to New York, Toronto and Montreal and that understood and they spend a lot more time there. So once we people found out that we had Nathan's in Canada, like MLSE was one of our first clients. They're like, we want it. Like it's uh, we want it. We want to brand it. We want to do it. And and um, I tell people that they by far are the best company I have ever dealt with in my entire life in any industry, anywhere our, our deal was done with them in 30 minutes. We were happy. They were happy. Um, we were making a little bit of money. We had branding that we wanted. Uh, and and then they really, really helped us and worked with us to, to grow our brand in Ontario. And so it was, it was a little bit of both when it came down to we thought there was some... Uh, there was a market there that we could have and we were right on that end of it. And the other end was, was trying to figure out how it worked. And was the sports team side of it, I'm guessing that when you look at the brand, that was your way to market. So you found your beachhead uh, and MLSE is fantastic. Uh, I'm a huge TFC fan, been a season ticket holder for forever. It feels like, even if we don't get to go to the games right now, uh, but at the end, I do feel that they are really well coordinated. They, they really line things up nicely. They do a great job. So is it sports that you kind of looked at? You've got sports paranephia. Yeah, I can't see the word now. Oh, my God. Sports material all behind you. Is that is that really the driver that kind of took this home? You said, you know, what? we're going to gain market space. We've got to go after this beachhead and then let it trickle down to grocery and everywhere else. How did you approach that? Yeah, food service was our entry level, and um, but again, we were a, we were a startup and a small business, and we didn't have infinite amount of money. Uh, we couldn't cut a deal with uh, we'll call them the two Alberta sports franchises that wanted us to lose a boatload of money on marketing. We're like, we can't do that, and we worked with the the ones that wanted to work with us and become a partner and and sell quality, and we'll we'll do what we can. And that was the all of MLSE. It was the Winnipeg, well, it was the Manitoba Moose at the time, which turned into the Jets and the Vancouver Canucks, and and a lot of the other little Vancouver Canadians, the baseball team, things like that. And 
And, you know, we got into tons. We got into the keg. We got into Boston pizzas. We got tons of lacage um, golf courses, you know, all over, all over Canada from coast to coast. We had representation. So it was a really, you know, a real grind, a lot of food service shows, a lot of tastings, a lot of, a lot of that. And, and once we figured out that, you know, the food broker was the way to go, we found the smaller independent food brokers that were, were hungrier, kind of like us that, you know, no pun intended, but wanted to get out there and, 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 and it really worked for us. It, 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 it was a really good plan. And, and it was, this was still continuing to work when, when we exited. Awesome. And was a lot of this, did you guys focus on, and this is the part I love about food services or getting into any f- sort of food product, is that when we make an investment in a food company, we're all about brand. We want to make sure that brand is number one, because brand can be is going to be bigger than your sales will be at the beginning. But if you're in this for the long haul, you can eventually get your sales up to match that size of brand that you create. So being that you've got this great brand that was coming into Canada, how much did that help you leverage where you were going? Oh, it was, it was a huge, huge, huge proponent of our success. I mean, they always used to tease the shit out of us in New York saying that the, you know, the July 4th hot dog eating contest had higher ratings in the Stanley cup finals. Right. So, and we did leverage that, right. We had Canadian hot dog eating contests and here we actually were just about to set one up with TFC and Ryan Smolk and their smoke fatigue, who was doing his major league eating thing. And, uh, and we were, you know, we were starting to do that. Uh, you know, the hot dog is in a form of a little more uh, a risque that we could have fun with and, and the contest that we created. And it, it's funny that, you know, New York, they, I always considered that they were, a, a, you know, a big brand, but I had a Twitter before they did. We Canada had a, a Facebook page before they did. They were using some of the marketing materials we were creating. The We had a create your own hot dog contest with chefs and we got like thousands of, of photos and, and put it into a big menu that we handed out at trade shows to show people how they can utilize what's in their kitchen, like poutine dogs. Well, you can't put hot, you couldn't put... Um, French fries on them because they were just too soggy on a hot dog. But we figured some chef figured out to put hickory sticks on them, and and it was it, it was a re- we had a lot of fun with it, and we really made it fun. And another big differentiator for us was even if you were MLSC or if you were Jade's mom and pop shop here in Calgary, we were we were honest with you right from the get go. I would say, okay, you know what you want you want us to give you a sandwich sign. Okay, well, that sandwich sign is going to cost us, you know, $500 to make. We'll get it for you, but it's going to take me three years to make money off you. So if you sign a three-year deal with us, we'll give you that sandwich board, but, you know, we, we, we just can't give it to you and have you walk away in the year and here, here's our profit. And I would show people and they would appreciate the honesty and they don't think that you're ripping you off and you're giving them something that they want. And you're like, I just want to, you know, make a little money off you and it might take us a year and a half and you know, in three years, let's look at it. if you want to continue it away you go. So it was uh, kind of my small town mentality uh, of way of selling in that relationship building and, and, and making sure that people believe you're not fleecing them. I think that's the, the fear all the time, right? That you're coming in, you're a big brand. You're just there to make money. You don't care about the, the small guy or anything else, but you're coming in from the small guy approach, working with the small guy, trying to help them make money. Yep. So absolutely. When you were doing that, and again, I love the idea behind it, 
How did you structure the licensing model versus the sales? And did you go back to these small SMEs and say, hey, look, we can help you increase your foot traffic or increase your volume of sales because of this brand and people are going to love this? Was there those types of metrics that got them excited about what you guys were offering? Yeah, it took us a while to get those metrics. Um, you know, they had them in the states, but they really just weren't relevant to Canada. We're not a hot dog culture like they. I mean, Montreal is has a really good hot dog culture. Um, Winnipeg surprisingly has an unbelievable hot dog culture. Um, but I mean, other than that, you know, we'll eat a hot dog at a ball game, a hockey game, you know, something like that. Where you know, we're not the we're not like the state. So a lot of the stuff that they had, we just couldn't use. So it took us a while to come up with our own metrics. And, and a lot of the, most people didn't have them on menus like bars and restaurants and kegs and, and BPs and things like that. So there was a lot of, uh, we were breaking a lot of grounds into, to, to very large chains that just didn't think of ever putting a premium, a hot dog on their, on their menu. Hmm. And now I think Costco is, pretty big on that right they have they always have this real affordable hot dog and uh they push it like crazy and i think they i don't know what the number is but they keep the numbers and tell everybody how many they sell and it's phenomenally huge yeah they're i mean they're not even um they could probably just be a hot dog company right <laughs> just like the amount that they sell is just batshit crazy it, it's and it's good i mean i still go for I, I like hot dogs i always have i always will um nathan's are my favorite but the costco dog is kind of a hybrid between a hebrew national and nathan's and 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 it's just a good dog and for a buck 50 with a with a pop how can you go wrong Exactly. Well, my father tells me they're great. He does it all the time. Uh, it's interesting you say that because then I'm just trying to think in my head when I've been traveling, there was one country where everywhere I went, they had hot dogs, hot dogs in all different fashions, like cheese on them, everything. And it was every street. And I can't think, I'm trying to remember if it was Egypt or it was um, uh, another, um, oh man, Peru or something. No, it wasn't Peru, but it was just, and everywhere I went, it was hot dogs, but then in other countries, you don't see them. So yeah. to me, it seems like there's such a massive opportunity in this space. And I like that you guys were able to take a brand, blow it up and get it into everybody's hands without them realizing that, Hey, we don't even have a branded hot dog and we don't have something that will really drive sales and boom, come in, drop Nathan's in and it just crushes it in all these spaces. But that's that entre uh, entrepreneurial mindset where you're just thinking, opportunity there's opportunity people are going to love this and it kind of brings me back to this red bull when red bull started to take the world over yeah um, i remember sitting with my buddy and he's like we should be the distributor in canada this is back in 2003 and i'm like you know what this is a great idea i work at loblaws we do all this other stuff so i started investigating it it hadn't been picked up yet and they wanted they would only take people that had supply chain expertise or that they were running supply chain uh, so that they knew that the product would get into the Canadian market and then just land and expand. So when you were going for your licensing, was that something, and you had mentioned the other entrepreneurs that were really a big part of this, did you already have that infrastructure set up so that you could just land and expand? Or was it, you know what, I'm going to need at least six months, but I know we can make this work. And you owned it for Canada and they were excited to get behind it. Yeah, it was, um, you know, we, we presented, uh, obviously they wanted to make sure, right. Nathan's is protective of their brand and their image as, as is anybody like Red Bull or, or whoever it is. So, you know, we had to go through our vetting and, and, and make sure that, you know, they believed that we could do what we said we were going to do and what we presented. So yeah, that, that went through it. Um, 
you know, I mean, like I said, 30, you know, within kind of, you know, a couple months, we have to pivot everything and, 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 uh, and change our, our train of thought. And, and we really thought we did our homework where we probably should have done a little more due diligence. Um, uh, and maybe that lends towards my angel investing right now a little more, a little more thorough on that end. But you're, you're just like, but we're also smart enough to realize that shit, this isn't working. Let's uh, let's move forward. Let's find these brokers. Let's talk to them. Let's let let let's make sure that we get them involved and 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 away we went. So there there, like I said, it was. Uh, there was a, there there was a good uh, a learning curve, but uh, you know we were smart enough, you know, knock on wood, that it did work. So, so how did you? And again, all this is great because startups go through all of the same things that you are. They're debating: should I license a product? Should I make my own? How do I operate this? We've got CPG companies that are trying to figure out how they're going to actually go out of building it in their kitchen. And moving yeah. it into a, a larger facility. So there's like probably a million questions you can deep dive into how you guys process this. Did you have to get warehousing? Did you have to do inventory? How did you expand all these things? But I think really at the, the bigger question of all of this is how did you how did you get yourself to mitigate the risk so that you would just jump in and go at it? So kind of like were there elements that you had to push out and say, don't worry about those. Let's just move forward just to kind of help that mindset of an entrepreneur feel a little bit more comfortable that, hey, you know what, it's going to be tough, but these are the things you got to look at. Yeah, we kind of, we had we had a little bit of fun set away for, uh, you know, to make sure that uh, if there were any road bumps or it did take longer that um, we didn't have to kind of say, oh, no, oh, no, right, that type of thing. So, so we were, we were lucky enough that way where, we, you know, we had a little bit of a runway to make sure that we just didn't panic and fold the tent, so to say. Yep. Um, yeah, there was, you know, it is a food industry is a penny industry. And um, once we really got in there, and we you know realized that we can't be with Versicold. We got to find an, again. I mean, another little independent has refrigeration. Um, we found out quickly that Cisco and GFS will pick up their products. So for instead of us sending it over for a dollar a box, they'll pick it up for thirty cents a box. And you're like, oh my goodness, like that's a lot. That's a huge amount of savings when it comes. And and so it, there, again, there was a lot of things that we didn't. We thought we knew, we didn't know. We found out in a hurry and uh, and 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 created a very uh, a very effective um, business on uh, at, for for frozen product when you had to move it right when it got into retail and loblaws and and listing fees and that's a whole new world. We don't have to go there, but it even came down when the franchise side of it too, right? Opening up our first restaurant, second restaurant, third restaurant, and then we were going to be coming into Ontario and Quebec. But yeah, it was. I mean, as I said, it was a lot of learning curves, a lot of uh, a lot of concessions, a lot of uh, partnerships, a lot of yeah. I'll scratch mine, you scratch yours, and uh, let's both make money at this. Let's have some fun with it. We'll do whatever you want, uh, whatever you need. Let's uh, let's go. And um, you know, I always tried to. You know, there was one number for Nathan's in Canada, and this it's still it. And probably the, even even a couple of years ago, I think I got my last Nathan's call. It's been a while, but it was I was like, yeah, you want something, you phone me. You don't, you know, just the brokers was no phone the brokers first. I'd be like, ah, you know, like you know, phone the brokers, but you know, like brokers, you phone me, everybody phone me. Let let's go. We want to make this happen. I don't want to. I don't want. I don't want. I don't want to be the roadblock. I don't want the broker to be the roadblock. Let's let's get this done. You want a deal? Let's figure it out. I love it. 
There's, uh, I guess that as an entrepreneur, you see a lot of yourself in other entrepreneurs when they have that drive just to keep going and they don't want to be the roadblock. They want to be the accelerator, the gas every time, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, uh, and again, that's the best thing about, you know, doing what I do now is I've been there, I've done that. I've, you know, you struggled, you've worried, you sweated, you, you know, spent endless hours away from your family and kids. And, and, you know, you always sit there, is it worth it? Is it worth it? And, and, you know, it, it was in our case, but yeah, it's, uh, I always sit there and I'm like, you know, you, you can't pull, you can't pull the wool over my eyes. I've been there. Right. I, I, I've seen it. I've, I've sat there across from, you know, million dollars of deals and I've sat there across a hundred dollar deal. Like I didn't care. I was there. Yeah. I like it. I love it. So now we kind of fast forward and you're taking all this great experience, mm-hmm. operation side of it, how you guys raised and built this company up. Now, when you're looking at startups that are coming in and you talked about the investor side and then going into your purpose-driven, uh, what what triggered you to go into more purpose-driven versus focusing on that next big company or that next big startup that you want to jump into? Yeah, you know, I was going to take some time off and and then it was, I had a few, star- again, like I said before, I never played in that world of accelerators and things. It was like, you know, heads down, let's go. And and then I had a few reach out saying, you know what, you've kind of, you know, Nathan's was three different sides of, you know, three separate businesses. And they're like, you kind of done this on three different areas. Like we could use your help. And I'm like, yeah, I'm in. So I, I really got in there. And, and what I found is I've always worked for family run companies. So it, it's that, you know, all decisions in Nathan's were almost made over 140 words or less. I guess it's 280 or whatever text was at that time. Like there was a limit and and, it, and I like that, right? I was like, there was that trust between me and my partners that, you know what, if Jade says that we should do this, I know they've done it. He's done his homework and it's good to go. We're just, you know, bouncing, making sure everybody's on the same page. Right. So I, I really do think that that's, you know, that found that, that smaller, smaller community type thing and, and having people there and, and understanding and making sure these, you know, the, the current entrepreneurs are like, no, 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 that's an excuse. I, I don't like excuses you know, get out there, bang on doors. You haven't made enough calls. You know, why aren't you making calls? Why are people saying no? Like, let's, you know, I, I don't like taking excuses. I, I never have and, and I never will. So the, you mentioned a, a good point in there and you mentioned community. How much of community do you, that you take from what you built in the previous companies do you now put into your startups and to what you're doing? Is it a big emphasis? Does it follow along with the branding side? Are you really strong in those two areas and really make sure that the startups understand what they're doing in those two spaces? Yeah, it's, you know, I always, I hate using the term of jack of all traits, but when you're, when you're kind of running an, you know, a national company and you're trying to build it over, you know, four time zones in Canada, you really become an, uh, become knowledgeable in a lot of different areas. And when you're, a small team and you have to learn logistics, you have to learn packaging, you have to learn sales, you have to learn marketing, you have to learn your people skills, you know, anything along those lines, you have a lot to share, uh, a knowledge to share. And that's kind of where the peer guidance came in and you're sitting there going, man, I'm seeing, uh, you know, a company, a marketing company come in and offer this startup an $80,000 fee. Whereas like, what the hell? 
Like you don't have 80 grand, like that, that's not worth 80, you know, here, let's find somebody to do it for you. Let's, let's that, that 70 grand that we saved you is going to go a long way to making your company successful. Because in the beginning, people say that, you know, everyone says people is your number one, you know, resource in your capital. It's not, it's money. I mean, you need to, to have the money to scale, to grow, to get, to hire more people that will be the heartbeat of your company eventually. But Wasting money on shitty things to start can really be devastating, and and I saw too many stories of, like I said, anywhere between you know five thousand and eighty thousand dollars that really bothered me, and people just didn't know and they had no one to turn to, and and I wanted to be that person to say, hey, no, come here, we, I know somebody, or if I don't know somebody, Jeff might know, you might know somebody, and we'll we'll put you in the right hands where someone will get you that knowledge for, you know, maybe you have to pay for it, but maybe you don't have to. I like that. And, and I think that just in itself is really helpful for a startup because you're right. A lot of the time, if you haven't done it before, your brain isn't going to, um, oh, I shouldn't spend this money. Your brain's going to, well, this is going to bring me to that next level and I need to be quick. So if I spend that 80,000, it's really going to help me get there. And then they realize two months in that that $80,000 spend didn't actually move the needle whatsoever. It benefited their bottom line, but it didn't really help uh, your startup move that needle and make any further sales. No, I mean, it's, and, 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 and I almost wanted to, you know, I've sat there and watched people come to tears across the coffee table and it, I was coming to tears because I, I get it. I understand it. it. It's personal. It hurts. We don't have that kind of money at that stage of your business and to make an investment on trust and, and, and you didn't have somebody that you can bounce an idea off, or maybe it was just your wife or your friends that are probably going to say, yeah, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Oh, well, I don't know. They're the, they're the experts. They should, they should know. And, and well, no, they shouldn't. Like, I mean, you, you know, you have to do your homework, reach out, talk to people, you know, phone somebody, phone a mentor, have a mentor. Um, I, I don't know, put, put, put something on Facebook and LinkedIn, you know, get some feedback from people like, you know, there really wasn't even LinkedIn back then, right? So we were, I was lucky enough to have a good group of people that I knew and my mentor is still my mentor and, and, and to rely on things. And the Christiansons were a fantastic family and, and fantastic business people. So I had that. Uh, and, and if I didn't have it, they definitely had it. So there was that network that we could rely on to make sure that we were, were doing the right things. And I love that. Speak to the network, ask questions, drop things out there. Someone's going to answer the question, especially if your gut tells you it doesn't work and it doesn't make sense. It probably doesn't. Yeah. And I think a lot of the times we're too afraid to ask or share that. I remember, and this is what started me in my first company in the software side, is I was asked to come in and do a review of a platform that was built. And they gave me access to this. I don't remember if it was, it was it certainly wasn't Dropbox, whatever it was. And I remember going through all of this material and uh, then I went through the financials to find out on what they had spent. And they, they asked me to come back with a summary of what we had, they had built over the year and a half. And when I, I went through this, it was the most upsetting thing I'd ever had to do when I started my company, which was go through and realize that this person was trying to build something that everybody turned to be so complicated but the end was not so complicated if someone would have taken the time just to align it up properly and they could have already had a final product, but 300, $400,000 later, it was just people screwing the person to get their dollar out to survive. 
But the output, I wrote it down in two and a half pages and it was the worst feeling I ever had to go back to that owner in a meeting and say, this is what you've got. And they started crying. And I was like, it was the most disappointing thing I ever had. And I was like, I'll never let this happen again. This is ridiculous that you've been robbed by all of these people who said they knew what they were doing and they just wanted to get paid. They didn't care about the outcome. So it follows along to the same principle of where you're going at is that so many people uh, get taken advantage of when they don't understand what they're doing, but their passion is there to build something great. And we want to, and in your case, you want to, or the, the, the group of entrepreneurs that do this is that they want to actually help those that have that passion and help them educate and learn through that process so that they can get there and get their own learning. And in hopes they'll go and give that back as well when they get to that next stage and next level of their business. Well, I couldn't agree more. I mean, that is so true, right? The pay it forward mentality. And, and, you know, I always, you know, the, one of the most things I'm proud about with peer guidance is that we waived all the fees for all of our clients during COVID and are still waiving them. And I mean, I think that goes to show that we, we really believe, right? I mean, am I at a point in my life where, where you know, like, will that make a difference for me? No. And, and the other four are current entrepreneurs and have their own businesses. So it was a very easy decision when you had to, you know, send out that email or make that phone call and have the Zoom with somebody and say, hey, don't worry about it. You know, put the food on your plate, pay your bills, pay your mortgages. Nothing's changing. We're going to do the business as is. And when the time comes and you're back and we're pulling in some revenue, we'll, we'll start back up again. But until then, let's, uh, you know, let's do what we can to stay alive and, and uh, make sure that we have a business to come back to. And well, now we're over a year. I love it. Awesome. Good people. This should have a banner. If I knew how to do that while we're talking, (laughs) flashing lights and stuff, but no, that's brilliant. Uh, It's awesome. Awesome. What you're doing, Jade. Um, So now, now you guys are getting into the, to more of this support side of it. And you mentioned earlier about the accelerator incubator side, you're like, just get at it, just get out there and build. So what's your philosophy now around acceleration incubators? Are you more, um, uh, more balanced and saying that, hey, you know what, these things can really help you at that early stage. There is some education you can get from it. There's some value that's there. Don't spend your entire three, four years in there. But if you've never done it, is get in there, learn it and move on. Is there something you've taken from that and you can push to your uh, to your startups? Yeah, I, I've, uh, I guess I've kind of come around a little bit. Um, you know, there's a couple good ones in here. I really do like the junction program that platform puts on. I, I want to say it's kind of like a business 101 course, especially if you've never been an entrepreneur before. They can touch on everything, you know, accounting and sales and marketing and networking and 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 on and all that stuff. And and I do like the fact that every single um, I can't remember the, the associate or or per, a teacher there is an entrepreneur, has been an entrepreneur, or you know, is currently an entrepreneur. And the connections that you can make from from that one is is is, is excellent. And they've got a great alumni. They work with Startup Calgary and things along those lines. So I always say it, it's good to get into one, learn a little bit. That one doesn't take up too much time, you know, four days a week for six weeks, uh, only half days, and then away you go. And, you know, we've worked with them before and they've, they've forwarded companies and said, hey, go talk to Jade or whatever it may be. So I really do. And I have, but I, I don't understand if someone's going to go from there to another accelerator, to another incubator or to something like that. I was like, oh, man. Like you, you, you can't, you can't do that. You have to find out if your product, if anybody even wants your product, like, 
And I, and I find that some people get in this vicious cycle and, and I don't know if it's because they're scared. They don't know how to sell. They, they, you know, I always use a term of entrepreneur, like, you know, so many people want to be an entrepreneur, but they just don't know how to, and they can't. And, and they think that they can play in the ecosystem and, and do what they can, but I'm a, you know, I'm a heads down, let's go. I mean, if your company's going to work, it's going to work and we're going to know right away. And if it's not, well, let's kind of move on to the next thing. Pivot. Let's figure out how to help them pivot, right? Yep. Yeah, I like that. When, when we talk, I, I, I always like to, okay, I get where you're coming from. Try this. Yeah. I'm just go and push that right now. And then let's talk again and see if you get any traction. Because at the end of the day, time is money. And if you're going to spend the next six months doing this, you're just burning time. And time isn't going to benefit anybody. So let's just tweak something. Because if it's, uh, I think I heard this a long time ago, this, this great quote that uh, the best entrepreneurs are always blowing their own shit up. Because they're always <laughs> fixing it. They're always got to change it again. No, no, let's do this again. I don't know if it's boredom, but they're always breaking it, breaking it, breaking it. And I think that that makes a lot of sense because you're always trying to figure out how to edge it one step further and status quo isn't edging it forward. So how do I keep breaking something to make sure that it gets to that next stage? Oh, yeah, I love it. Blow it up. Here we go. Next. <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> It works for me. I think it's one of those things you just wake up one morning and you're like, something's not right. And then boom, just start blowing things up. And then you get back to the grind again. And it just feels more comfortable after you do that and, and get it aligned and moving it forward again. Right? Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Well, we're going to kind of transition a little bit because I think there's been a, there's a lot of learning and, and I really do strongly believe that a lot of the time, if you take what your core subset is, the things that you built on, and then you start to drive that f- further, taking your Nathan's experience all the way through. It just shows that what you accomplished there that you can, can keep driving that forward and people are going to learn from that experience. And so I appreciate you sharing that. And there's kind of this one story that I always like to hear from, and, and you work with a lot of startups now and work in this space quite a bit, and you're making a lot of investments, you're doing all these great things. Is there one story that really just pops out of your mind and you're like, this is what it takes to be an entrepreneur. I was working with this founder and she did X and it just blew it up. And that was what excited you about why you do what you do every day. Oh man, that's a, that's a tough question. Um, I mean, it, there's so that's, I guess that's one thing I like about the entrepreneurial world, right? It's people are passionate. People care. It's their idea. It's their baby. It's their, you know, they want to make it work. And, and 95, 99% of them are always like, I need help. I'm listening. I'm, I'm open to ideas. And, and the one, I guess the one kind of story, it's not even a, it's not even really a, um, a success story or it, it, it was almost that aha moment where it was like one of the, I think the second or third company we were, I was working with and that was coming in and I'm sitting down and, and, you know, kind of we're going over things and they're like, wow, we don't know, really know how to scale what we're doing. We don't know what we need to sell, how we need to sell, but we, you know, we've been doing pretty good. And I was like, Oh, okay. That's great. So you've been going here, you've been going there and uh, you know, pitching it and doing well. I was like, yeah, and you, you got some rev- revenue. And I was like, well, how many do you have to sell to break even? And they're like, oh, oh, I don't know. I'm like, well, what do you mean you don't know? Like, what's your number? Like, you have to, you know, you guys are low income. You know, you don't have a whole a lot of overhead and things along those lines. They were doing a lot of great things. Like, it was awesome. And I was just like, well, what do you mean you don't know? 
And it was, it was just, there was dead silence. And I said, well, let's just figure it out. Like, you know, so just like literally in five minutes, we kind of did some math and we figured we had, you had to sell, you know, 10 a month to break even. And all of a sudden their mind mindset just changed. It was an instant. I only need to sell 10 a month. <laughs> and, 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 you know, they were all, they were all worried about the big picture, right? The cent, yeah. like, how are we going to do this? And where are we going to go? Money we're going to spend. We got to fly. What are we going to do? And I was like, let's put our budget down. Let's look what we have to sell per month. And then that number came out to like 10. It, it, like, it was like, oh, we can do that. And it was, it was totally different. And it was, and that's why I always tell people like, when you got to know your numbers, know what you're, know what you're doing. You don't have to look at them all the time, but you just have to know them, right? You review them monthly and things like that, but just, just know and, and, and relax. Cause a lot of times people are panicking over things that they shouldn't be panicking about panicking about when, Math, you know, I don't want to use the word math is simple because someone will use it and then I'll start getting teased on LinkedIn, but it's just bring it down to your simple base and, and, and don't worry about a lot of the big things just yet. And and that's probably one of the, the best stories I have when it comes to keeping it simple. Agreed. Yeah. I'm sure it blew them out of the water when they realized the stress reduced from that point on where now they can start to look at how can I plan? How do I get to 15? How do I get to 30? How do I get to 50? And then with that extra cost, it's going to incur along the way. It's uh, there was um, a gentleman that I've worked with for many years as an entrepreneur and, and uh, he works at Schulich now and runs Schulich. And I remember one of the things that he had said was that if you could take out the finance around a company, the stress of it, how fast and big do you think that company could grow? And I, if you know the entrepreneur and what they're doing, and it always just sat in the back of my mind because I always thought of that. And I thought, you know what, if you could take that stress out, how aggressive would you really be if you could go at that market and just drive it because you have that passion, you know exactly what people want in your product and how you're going to get it to them. But it's that financial side that just puts everybody on the constraints and holds them back because they don't realize uh, how what the cost is or how to manage their accounting or how to manage your finance. So it slows the whole process down. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and, and people get so wrapped up in numbers and, and, and the fear of, uh, you know, of, of, of everything that comes with running a business. And, and sometimes you're just, just, you know, as simple as you can, baby steps, one success story at a time, you know, don't worry about what's going to happen in five months, worry about what's going to happen this week and, and just take it step by step. And, 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 and again, I mean, I'm a big fan of just saying, you know, I'd ask for help. Ask, asking for help is not a sign of weakness. It's, and it's, it's a phrase I use all the time, not only in business, but in, in all the mental, mental wellness and mental health stuff that we're doing out there because, you know, people are scared and they think that, oh, oh man, I, and people, I should know everything. I'm like, man, you don't know. I don't know everything. I'm, I know far from everything. I still ask for help. I still talk to my mentor. You know, my mentor is now more of a friend over the last 25-ish or so years. Like, I mean, I love it when he phones me. I'll phone him up and I'll say something like that. He goes, Jade, you're an idiot. Like, why, why are you even asking me that? I was like, oh, I know. I, I, yeah, right. It's like, I, I just need, I need someone to tell, tell it like it is right and the way yeah. you go so agreed bouncing ideas is huge uh, oh I, absolutely i shared the other day um, a story and the, the story was if you have a problem take the three smartest people you know and go ask them the problem and even if you haven't talked to that person in three years go ask them the problem because you're going to get a perspective that you didn't expect you'll get 
And then your next problem, find three other people that are just as smart that you think can solve that problem and keep going to three new people each time. Because what that'll do is you'll start to define what those three people are all about. And then as your problems start to escalate, you're going to remember who helped you and solve one of those problems that you really thought brought a lot to the table. And you'll start to refine those people down as you keep growing all your problems and keep growing all these different mentors and coaches that they don't know they're doing this. And then you're going to start to round them down and you're going to find three to five great people that are going to really understand your business and understand your modeling. And that's going to help you grow quicker and faster. Absolutely. Bang on. Yeah. Just find five new friends working on it. <laughs> yeah. LinkedIn. There's lots of people on LinkedIn. You can ask random questions that will certainly love to answer them. So no, no, exactly. if you don't ask. Ask away. I, I, I get random questions asked all the time. I always answer. I love it. I'm, I, 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 I kind of wear it as a badge of honor. If someone wants, uh, you know, wants my opinion. I love it. All right. We're going to transition into the, uh, the rapid fire question segment. All right. Okay. How did you get started in investing in startups? Just fluke and fun. All right. We'll explore that another time. I like that. Uh, What's your favorite part of investing? The people. Okay. How many companies do you invest in per year? Uh, It's usually between... Five and eight. I love it. You're above average. Beautiful. Any verticals you like to focus on? I I, I hate to say it, but I get passionate about food companies, but I don't invest as many as I probably should. (laughs) Maybe it's for a reason. Uh, But, you know, I... When it comes to verticals, there seems to be a lot more tech companies, um, you know, as we we kind of be evolving that way in Alberta, because I pretty much only invest in Alberta companies. Okay. Awesome. Uh, on the due diligence side, are there any things that you look for before making a commitment? Yeah, I'm a big fan of um, of having companies scale the company on our investment, not build it. So we really like MRRs are probably one of our top metrics. Okay. Timelines for investment? Uh, I guess to get a to get a deal cut to, at the at the front end, it's usually somewhere between one and three or so months, and I guess it's going to be a seven to ten year relationship. I love that answer. I never hear that, but yeah, you're right. You talk about having commit, uh, being part of uh, um, community, and then throwing in that hey, we're in this for the long haul, right? We're going to be talking yeah. in seven to ten years. I'm not putting this money in if we're not so. Yeah, yeah, and if you just want my money, you're not getting uh, you're not get, getting anything from us. I like it. Uh, and then follow on investments is that part of the strategy as well? Um, you know what? Lucky enough, it it hasn't been on on all of our all all of our investments. They've been they've been picked up by by you know VC led funding, and we've been kind of you know shunned. But I don't care. That's that's why you're here, right? <laughs> Right. So, bad thing. Exactly. Yeah. If you're, if someone else is going to, you know, throw in a little bit, we always ask, right. We put it in the contract, but uh, it's a, uh, you're not going to hold back on something by saying, yeah, we want in. And the company said, no, you're not. You're like, yeah, okay. We're, you know, you're go on. Well, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get our money out of this. So we'll, we'll, we will be happy, but I like it. That's awesome. Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, anything else you look for in factors of investing? Is it um, team, CEO, product? Is there anything like that that really stands out that makes you jump to? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, I mean, there's, a, there are a lot of factors, as you know, but I mean, honestly, I really have to believe in the person, the people and the company. Like that is a big, big part of it. If I don't think that they're coachable or they don't want my, uh, you know, they don't want, they just want the cake and, and, and they don't want what comes with it. I mean, we're, we're, we're here. And I mean, if they think that they know everything and we can't help them, well, why would our money want to, why would we want our money to help you? Like it just, I, I need to believe in the people. Like it. any preferred terms, like pref shares, common shares, equity. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I mean, obviously, you know, I'd write just straight out equity to make it simple. Um, we've done a few commons, no preferred yet. It seems uh, the, Everybody seems to be putting, uh, you know, everybody right now, I don't know if it's the same in uh, Toronto and that area, everybody wants a safe right now, which uh, we kind of say, well, no, we'll probably switch that to a convertible at the, at the least, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's pretty common. Safes are, are pretty big and we share that most yeah. don't like to invest in them, but if you put a cap on it and uh, ensure that there's um, a balance there, then totally that makes sense. Then there'll be interest. Yeah but it's very one-sided. So it's tough to jump on those, but they're cheap. Yeah. And if it's early, then why not? But cap it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you take board seats? Um, God, board seats, you can get me going. Um, I haven't. Um, we've kind of set up, uh, I've been at advice, you know, moved into kind of an advisor type thing on their, on their things. Some of them have been early up and don't have boards. Some of them I've actually helped set up their boards for them. Um, but yeah, I mean, sometimes boards really piss me off. So <laughs> well, we're going to have to explore that in the next conversation as well. <laughs> yes, <exactly. laughs> I haven't heard that one yet, but I, I'm sure I can understand why they do, but Either way, interesting. Yeah, not all of them, just some of them. Yeah, well, I can imagine. I can imagine. I can imagine. Um, yeah. All right. Well, we're gonna we're now gonna jump into some personalized questions. So, first question: favorite sports team? Oh, Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Go Riders! <laughs> all right, all right. I was an Argos <laughs> fan for the longest time that I can remember, and then I started working in Hamilton. And I started going to the Thai Cats games, and those fans yeah. are—they're like, just like Rough Riders. They are oh, yeah. so dedicated to the team that yeah. I found that Argos fans just weren't the same way. And I started to find myself changing over to Hamilton and saying, "I actually like this team better because the energy and drive that the people come to the stadium, the new Tim Hortons one, is unbelievable." Yeah. So I can understand the passion yeah. you have for the team because. When the community gets around something and they're when that team's driven and they're doing well, or even when they're not doing well, it, people are still so tied into them. It's unbelievable. Well, well, there's a lot of pain being a rider fan, right? Four great cups in 105 years. Like we've, we've got, you know, once we might get two in a lifetime if you're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those numbers don't sound as promising, but... <laughs> Still good to be a fan, though. Absolutely. Uh, your favorite movie, and which character would you play in the movie? 
Oh my God. Oh man. I mean, I worked in the movie industry for eight years, so I, I, I am a movie buff. I love it. Oh man. That's tough. I, uh, I mean, I'm a big, uh, big comedian and I love comedy. So I would probably have to say, uh, I'm not going to go with dumb and dumber. I'm going to go with, uh, the big Lebowski and I'll be, I'll be the dude. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> If I was to take all the interviews I've done and just write down, like there's like maybe a handful of movies that most of the investor community has picked on compared to the rest. Like there's, don't get me wrong. They're spread out, but yeah. Big Lebowski is, is up there for sure. Oh, Shawshank it has to be is up there. Uh, they've had more than one vote. How's that? Oh, so. absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, you can pick Pulp Fiction. I, I, I would probably be, you know, Reg Dunlop and Slapshot. I would, you know, you're just like, you can just keep going, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, all great movies. All great movies. Yeah. Um, all right. The last one is, what is your superpower? Listening. And it's as simple as that. Uh, I mean, I have, you know, I wasn't good at it. I, I learned to be good at it. And I learned the power of listening can can lead to a lot more success and and make you a much better person, investor, and entrepreneur. And I start with person for a reason. I mean, it's something that you know I I truly truly believe in. So whether you have to be a good person to to start off with anything. I love it. To add on to that, I would say uh, listen twice, speak once. Yeah. Yeah. And I like spiking, right? You put a few whiskeys in me, I'm going to go. But uh, I mean, when it comes down to, a, you know, a business media, it's a whole new world, right? <laughs> when you're no, telling I stories, I got lots of good stories. <laughs> well, you can share them. We got time. <laughs> I love it. Uh, well, Jade, it's been, it's been awesome to, to chat with you. Um, Lots of learnings there. I think we learned lots. And as I always do, even though I say I was going to do digital, I can't. I still take notes because at the end, I can't do a monologue after if I don't write everything down. There's my there's there's my investor book right there. It's still, I'm still still that way too. Yeah, it's. Uh, I try not to, but I was I was doing them and typing them, but the noise is too loud, and so I I, I do write them down. But I do want to thank you again for all of your time. I think the audience is going to learn a lot from this. And we're going to get you back on the show again because you do have a lot of insights and I want to learn these stories because the stories are the ones that really uh, get me excited because I love sharing stories. Uh, but the way we like to kind of end things is we like to give you the last word. So anything that you want to share to investors or to startups, uh, I turn it over to you. But again, thank you very much for all your time today and sharing. Well, I appreciate it, uh, JP. It's it's something that uh, you know I love. I love sharing my stories. I love talking. I'm passionate about the ecosystem, and and I guess the you know the one piece of it, the last piece of advice we'll end it on is, I always tell people if you ask for if you ask for money, you'll get advice. If you ask for advice, you may get funding. So I always say, come at it at a different level, right? Think about it differently. Think differently. Think outside the office. Um, and, you know, try and build that relationship before you're going to go out there and ask for funding. I love it. And if people want to get a hold of you, I've watched a bunch of your interviews. They're fantastic. Uh, I love how you work with the startups and, and chat with them and talk them through and get them to pull out some of that great advice and great insights that they're living through. Uh, how can people get a hold of you? 
Oh yeah. I mean, you can go to pureguidance.ca. I know Jade Albert's on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm, I'm there all the time. Uh, my email is guidance at pureguidance.ca. My cell phone's all over the map. You can Google me. You'll find lots of sports stories and hot dog eating stories and, and uh, all, you know, sports interviews and things like that. But yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm there and, and I don't, to me, you know, I know I play in Alberta a lot and that was just because I wanted to be around family and I was tired of traveling. But I mean, I, I'm, I'm open to talking to anybody. I'm, I'm hosting an event here out of, out of Phoenix here next month or actually this month in 15 days, you know, talking about the future of work and how that is. So um, I'm always, uh, I'm always around. I'm always, I always love to talk, share stories and, and try and share my knowledge. I love it. Well, you're a good man. I love what you're doing. Keep it up. And uh, we're going to be in touch because we're going to learn more and see how we can keep working together. I love it. I enjoyed it. Have a great day, sir. I appreciate your time. Likewise. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. Awesome. Well, uh, what can I say? I think uh, Canada, the world, producing a lot of amazing people in this entrepreneurial space. And I just love everything that he's been up to and what they've been doing. And, you know, it, it's uh, it's phenomenal. But... You know, from taking a brand and just blasting it out there and getting in front of the right people and, and growing that. And, you know, even he came all the way around to being able to work with accelerators and change that whole mindset. So, you know, there's a lot of value out there. You just have to go look for it. And I like that he talked about, you know, being a strong operator, talking to uh, and building community and getting mentors. Really important. It helped him through a lot of that thick and thin. And I think a lot of these uh, great insights uh, we're worth hearing about again and uh, all the new stuff that they're doing, just fantastic. So in saying that, um, check Jade was awesome. Hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. Feel free to share, like, post, all that great stuff and look forward to talking to you guys again soon. Enjoy the day.